Good morning. I hope you know that firm foundation, the hope of Christ, and thank you, worship team, and for those who have been praying and thinking about uh, leading us in worship today as we focused on Christ. It's good to do that. Anchored and established by God. Would you turn with me in your Bibles or on your phone? Uh, that is permitted. <laughs> if you have a Bible app on that, to first. Samuel chapter 24, I'll be reading the first 12 verses. David is being anchored and established by his good shepherd. He didn't know him by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was there shepherding David. And it's so great to study his life and see how God was discipling him uh, by his circumstances, by his presence through his people. Let's pay attention to God's word together. I'll be reading uh, the first 12 verses of 1 Samuel 24. Saul had just been chasing David and been called away because he had to go deal with the Philistines, and we pick up the action there. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in, the, in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seem, shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in a cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father? See the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. May God add his blessing to his word for my heart and your heart this morning. Let's just take a moment to pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, our good shepherd, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, what is it we need to be reminded of today? What new thing do you need to teach us? Meet the needs of your people here. May your word have impact. Let its power 
pierce our hearts and shape us and mold us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Is your life anchored and established in the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul, the apostle, expressed it this way in the book of Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Anchored and established changes the way we live. And then Paul goes on in the verses after that to put off, you know, the bad things and then to put on the new things, the things of God, because you can't be the same if you know Christ. If he's your Lord and Savior, if you've bowed your life to him, bowed down and entrusted your life into his hands, you and I have to live differently. We should live differently, and we can by the power of God. In Psalm 62, David kind of expresses this being anchored and established by God, in God, in a little different language, but in the same way. Trust in God, he says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from you. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Boy, we were just singing that again and again today. It was great. I was all excited because I was speaking to my heart because of God's word here. I hope it was doing the same for you. And then David says, hey, don't be like the world. Don't be, be established in God. Because those of low estate are but a breath. And those of high estate are delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. What are you saying? Trust in the firm foundation of God. Put off humanity's ways and put on God's ways. So we get into 1 Samuel chapter 24. How in the world did David resist killing Saul? I mean, his band of brothers is, are whispering in his ear in the cave, here's your chance. God's put him in your hand. Kill him. But the voice of God, the Spirit, was saying, stop. He's my anointed one. Surrender Saul into my just-filled hands and my perfect time. Let me do the work that I'm going to do perfectly, David. Put him into my hands. Trust me to take care of your life. So what's great about David's life is how much insight we gain from his life. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. There's a cost to following God. David's finding that out. 
But there's a cost to non-discipleship. <laughs> Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, it costs a person just as much or even more to go to hell than to go to heaven. The contrast between David's life of faith and Saul's wandering away from God it gets more and more pronounced. And the question for you and me today is, will I follow my Savior and put my life into God's hands wholeheartedly like David as he's being discipled, being anchored and established? Or will I be like Saul, anchorless and drifting towards destruction? Some of us like to try and be a little bit of David and a, and a little bit like Saul, or maybe a little like David and a lot like Saul. We trust God in the heat of the moment, some days living by faith, but mostly living by sight. And you know what Jesus said about, about that? He said, I'd rather you were hot or cold. Because lukewarm people I spit out of my mouth. That's a pretty heavy word, isn't it? So are we anchored and established how do we know we are? Where are our signs? Well, in David's life in chapter 24, we see, first of all, that he was growing in reverence for God. We already read the passage. Saul's delivered into David's hands in the first four verses. And there's great irony here because in chapter 23, verse 7, Saul, uh, David was in Keilah, and he was delivering those people from the Philistines. He was, David was doing what Saul was supposed to be doing. He was still delivering his people, Israel, and Saul was still trying to go after David. And, and Saul says, oh, God's put David into my hands. He's trapped in a city with gates. Now I can get him. And he was misreading everything. He was foolish. He wasn't trusting in God. He was fighting against God. He misread the situation because his sin, his faithlessness made him blind to what God was doing. At the end of chapter 23, we read it last week, and I just referred to it. Saul's on one side of a mountain chasing David with all his men. David and his men are on the run, and it just so happens, huh, just so happens. The Philistines attack, and Saul has to leave and defend his people, so David gets away. So who's delivering who into whose hands? What stopped David from harming Saul? Reverence for God. His heart struck him when he cut off the corner of that robe. He suddenly realized the intent of his heart. If he wasn't going to kill him, he wanted to insult him. He wanted to put him down low. He wanted to make fun of him. He wanted to embarrass him. But then he realized, who anointed Saul? Well, it was my good friend, the prophet Samuel, who by God's word anointed Saul to be king. So it's not me to decide. It's not for me to decide when or how Saul is removed from that office. Only God has pure motives. His justice and timing are never off. Let that sink in. Only God has pure motives. His justice and timing are never off. That doesn't mean I'm passive. That doesn't mean I do nothing. It doesn't mean I don't defend others who are weak. It doesn't mean I just sit back and 
do nothing and wait for God to rescue me. No, but it means I act in, as directed by God, the Spirit's and God's word and the Spirit's impulses and not my own impulses. So how do I know if I'm reverencing God? Well, reverencing, reverence for God means that I'm submitting to God's plans and God's thoughts, his authority, his sovereign authority. It's trusting, it's waiting, it's reading God's word, it's listening to the spirit of God, it's listening to godly people's voices, sisters and brothers. I can hear myself in that cave. If I was with David, or if I was David, I'm not David, but if I was David, I could hear myself thinking, Saul's ruining the whole nation of Israel. Has God brought him in, into this place right now so I can remove him the way I removed Goliath? I mean, they're both bad guys. My friends, maybe they're right. He's put him, he's in this cave. What's the chance of him picking this cave, the one we're staying in? God's put him in my hands. If I murder Saul, if I kill him now, just think. Jonathan will become like the king, and, and Jonathan and I are blood brothers, and the transition from Saul's kingship to, to my kingship that God wants me to take, it'll just be so smooth and good for the land, I ought to do this. But the Spirit of God was saying, no. Maybe Saul's here to experience mercy, not wrath. Give him that chance to repent and turn to the Lord. Well, David's a picture of Jesus Christ. You know that, right? He's a type. He's a foreshadowing of the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. David had delivered the city or the town of Keilah. But they were ready to betray David and his men into the Saul's hands, just like Jesus delivered so many people. And yet the people were ready to deliver him into the hands of Pilate and the Romans to be executed. The Ziphites were looking for a way to trap David. They were on the look for him. They were ready to betray him to Saul, just like the religious leaders were ready to betray Jesus into the hands of the Romans to crucify him. But Jesus and David and you and me are right where God the Father wants us to be. We need to trust him and obey him. Jesus learned obedience through the difficulties in his humanity, in his humility. He learned to walk in this world the way we have to. He did it without sin. He depended on his father. It was God's will to punish Jesus Christ. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him into grief. When a soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. David. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge the Lord. And he will make your paths straight. Am I ready to entrust myself to the God who says he's in control? Who cares for me? How are you doing this week on that? 
To buy a boat or not to buy a boat, that was the question. There was a wealthy businessman, and he wanted a boat. But wouldn't you know it, the sermon series was on stewardship, using your money and your time for the Lord. So he wanted that boat, this big boat, so bad. He had been thinking about it for so long, but his heart was not at peace because the word of God kept saying, maybe that's not a good old idea. Finally, he made his decision. He bought the boat. And here was his rationale. You know, I should probably take on a Bible study group, and then I can invite them, and we can meet on the boat. <laughs> I've never thought anything like that. We really need to be careful how we decide. To own a boat's not wrong, necessarily. But be careful how you decide. God was speaking to Saul. But Saul wasn't hearing because he wasn't listening, because he had no faith. He wasn't reverencing God. God was speaking to David, and David was hearing because he reverenced God. He feared God. He understood who God was. Am I running with God? My words and my actions will show it. Am I running against God, away from God? My words and my actions will show it. And David's life was anchored and being established by God because he had faith in God, and we see the results of that in his actions. He was waiting on God. Secondly, if you want to be anchored and established or disciple, you need to be patient and you need to be teachable. Let's look at chapter 25. Oh, by the way, there's a ton of great lessons in these chapters and I only highlight a few because I want you the next time you're reading through Samuel to dig in a little bit deeper on your own. In chapter 25, we begin by reading verse 1. Now Samuel died. Just stop. What a blow. A blow for the whole nation of Israel. Here was God's prophet, the one who had spoken words and they all came true. He could be trusted and he was gone. It would have been a major blow to David. I mean, talking about being in a low time in his life, on the run for his life, hiding in caves, trying to vindicate himself, trying to show he was true and still not being believed by Saul, still running for his life. Life was going downhill. My world's falling apart. What a blow. Boy, we've all been there, right? A loved one who's been a, a mentor, someone who strengthened us in the faith, passes away. And there's this hole that can never be filled, or it feels like it can never be filled. Or what about the people who are ministry partners and they go to another church for good reasons and bad reasons? Doesn't matter. There's this hole. But God's in control, and God's working. In this chapter, we meet Abigail and Nabal. And I want you to know there's this great connection here, because Nabal is another Saul, and Abigail is another Jonathan. People, 
that God uses to disciple David, to bring him along to strengthen his faith. And I don't want you to miss the great connections here. Nabal was a rich guy. We pick up uh, verse 3. Now, there, now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> So David, in verse 5, sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did not harm them, and they missed nothing all the time we were in Carmel. So I'm asking your young men, and they will tell you, Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son David. And when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who have come from whom I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on a sword. Just take a moment to stop there. So Nabal's a rich guy. He has lots of sheep and lots of herds and he's wealthy. And his attitudes toward David are just like Saul's. He knew who David was. He knew what was going on in David's life, but he didn't want to be bothered taking care of the Lord's people. Too troublesome. He was busy with his business. You know, Nabal, I don't know if Jesus had this in mind when he told the parable, but he's like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who had barns full, and he needed bigger barns, and he built them, and a soul was taken the neck that very night. And Nabal is a picture of him. But Abigail's the exact opposite. Like Jonathan's the exact opposite of his father. They both fear God. They both recognize God's plan and know that Saul's going down a bad trail, and they know that David is worthy to be the king because his heart's chasing after God. So Nabal rejects David's request. And this wasn't like a mafia thing going on here, like you pay me and I'll protect you. I know I have a bad, fakey uh, accent. Um, now, this was just custom. David had protected his sheep and his shepherds, and nothing had gone missing. The, the men testified as servants, Nabal's servants in verse 17, that he was like a wall. David and his men were like a wall that protected us from all the other bad guys who would have stolen from us. So David was just looking for a favor. He was in need. He was on a run for his life, and he just wanted some food and some help for his men. And Nabal had the ability to share. He was rich, but he was keeping it for himself. And Nabal rebuffs David. He insults David. Oh, and boy, is David mad. Boys, put on your swords. We knew what his intent was. He was going to wipe out Nabal and all his family, all his servants. There was going to be a great slaughter. Then we meet Abigail. Wise 
Abigail. Beautiful Abigail. We don't know physically if she was, but we know in her heart she was a beautiful woman. She comes to David. She intercedes on her husband's behalf. The proud man, in verse 17, he's called worthless by his servants. So they bypass Nabal. They go, the servants go straight to Abigail and say, you got to do something. David's coming. He's going to wipe us out, our whole family, everything here. you got to do something, Abigail. Don't be a Nabal. Don't be a foolish woman or man and allow yourself to become hard-hearted to God's truth. Speaking of Abigail and since it's International Women's Sunday, wow. Leslie, she's not here today. (laughs) She's not feeling real well. Thank you, Lord, for giving me Abigail. Her name just happens to be Leslie. Too many times in my foolish pride, I haven't listened, and it's taken me a while. And I'm still learning to listen to her good counsel. Let's take a quick look at Abigail's speech. She comes to David, and she bows down before him. She humbly, and she she softens David with gifts, just like Jacob did with his brother Esau. Remember, there was tension there, if you're familiar with that story. She brings gifts for the men. She provides food for them in verses 18 and 19. They go ahead of her. So here comes these people with gifts, a peace offering, as you would. She's wise. In verse 23, when she saw David, she hurried and got down from her donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. But I am your servant. I did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be his neighbor. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly take my Lord a sure house and make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. What does she do? She addresses David respectfully after she gives him gifts. She admits the heir of her husband. She confesses. His sin is her own sin because they were married. They were one. He's a foolish man. You didn't take Saul's life. Don't let this road rage do something fool and do something foolish because it was like road rage, wasn't it? It was just an insult. I mean, Saul, I could see killing Saul. Saul was trying to kill David. But Nabal, well, he was just some rich guy who insulted you. I mean, he really didn't owe you anything. He didn't have to pay. It would have been the right thing to do. David, don't take blood on your hands and don't be guilty of of slaughter. What's wonderful about this story is how teachable David is. 
could have been an easy, all woman, get out of my way. But God, the Spirit was working. The good counsel of a godly woman was at work in his life. And he changed his direction. He speaks about how wise she was. How, he, how she restrained him. In verse 32, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. See, David knew who had sent Abigail. It was God. Learning to wait on God. Learning to hear your shepherd's voice. My sheep hear my voice. And David was proving he was a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was listening to the Lord's voice. When David was walking in the spirit, he refused to to kill Saul. When David was walking in his human strength and human wisdom, he was ready to kill a man for just an insult. Nabal deserved judgment, but Abigail said, wait for God to do it. Isn't it great to know that if we're willing to listen, that God sends people our way to help us? Like David needed a boost from Jonathan. And Jonathan was there to speak truth into, into David's life. You are going to be king. My father's not going to be king. And I'm going to be next to your side. David, you are God's anointed. He spoke encouraging, building up, faith-building words. And Abigail comes and says something hard, but she dares to stop him from doing something foolish. I mean, there would have been needless loss of life, servants, men, women, children. Maybe even Abigail would have been killed had David gone ahead with his plan. David's teachable. David hears God's word. The spirit of the, the sword of the spirit penetrated his heart. His sword, the physical one, would have, could have put his life on fire and ruined it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. (laughs) The sword was penetrating David's heart. Oh, Lord, help us to learn to wait on you, to delay our instant gratifications, our impulses, so we hunger for your voice, hunger to obey it. So David's a type of Christ. He's learning to be anchored in God and not in the way of this power-grabbing, violent world that he was living in. (laughs) It's our world. Jesus took on a human body. He listened to his Father and he fulfilled his mission. He was learning to trust and obey God the Father's will. So he went to the cross because he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was willing to suffer its shame. He died for our sins, my sins, your sin. He was raised to glory. And and 
And, you know, David's a great example to follow, but Jesus Christ has the power to save us from death. Jesus Christ has the power to help you overcome so you do not kill Saul or think about killing Nabal. He has the power if we will listen to his words, if we will be hungry for his word, if we will obey his spirit, if we will believe. This morning, I just plead with you, if you haven't believed, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He will give you the power to follow and obey and to bring great things and be fruitful for God in this life. So David's rooted and established. He's anchored in God. He's reverencing God. He's teachable. He's listening because God has called him and he's responded. Anchored and established through the disciplines of discipleship. Chapter 20, chapter 26. These three chapters are all connected, by the way, just in case you don't see that. Saul's delivered into his hands, chapter 24, David doesn't kill him. Nabal's delivered into David's hands, he almost kills him, but he refrains because he's listening to God. Chapter 26, guess what? Saul's after David again. You know this, many of you know this story. So God puts all these three chapters together together to, so we see how David is growing in his faith, how his faith is maturing in God. He didn't murder Saul in the cave, and now Saul is encamped in chapter 26. His men, they're out seeking, seeking David in the wilderness, and David has spies, it says in the first uh, five verses, and they find out where Saul's army is, and Saul's asleep. Saul was lying within the encampment with all his army encamped around him. So that's really cool. Saul's in the middle, and all the soldiers are around him. And David and another man sneak into the camp, and they steal Saul's spear and his canteen. It says God had put the whole army in a deep sleep. Just think about that spear. It's like his security blanket. Saul's security blanket. It was that intimidating force that he wanted to show. When you walked into Saul's presidency, he always had a spear in his hand. That's the kind of man he was. Not a man of God, but a man of the world. Power in the spear. And David could have killed Saul right then. His, his partner, Abishai, was saying, <laughs> your enemy's in your hands. There's that voice again. He could have Pierced him right there, David could have. Put an end to it all. Tired of running. Tired of not being king. Tired of not, tired of being true and honest and being called a liar and a cheat and a traitor. But he refrained because he, he reverenced God because he had learned his lesson through Abigail to trust God. There's something very sad that happens at the end of chapter 26. David gives us great speech. Kind of reveals his heart. In verse 17 of chapter 26, Saul recognized David's voice because David called out and said, Hey, Abner, you're, you're supposed to be protecting the king and you failed. Look what I have in my hand. And Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It's my voice, my lord, O king. 
Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So David vindicates himself, holding that spear in, in, the, in the water jug. He says, look, second time, I could have killed you and I haven't. What does Saul say in verse 21? I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes to this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a grave mistake. <laughs> Saul speaking prophetically. He's saying, you are God's chosen one. You are protected. I'm foolish. Trying to make a connection here. Child of God, just remember that's true. That you are his sheep. That God will take care of you. That you will win. Even if you lose your life for Christ, you will win. So don't be afraid. Are you a disciple? How do you become mature in your faith? Maturity comes through continual practice. And that's what's happening in David's life. He's beginning to practice the things he knows that God wants him to do. How can I become more like Christ so when I'm on the spot, I do the right thing? Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, has this great story, and I just want to share it with you. Think of a young person and at one time, I was that young person who idolizes a favorite baseball player or a famous star, whatever, whatever your sport was, if you had a sport. Or maybe you're a musician, or maybe you're a ballerina, or whatever you are. You have a hero, okay? And they want nothing less than to hit, to run, to pitch, or to dance, or to play like their hero. And while they're, but I'm going to the baseball, while they're playing the game, they try to behave like their favorite baseball star. I grew up in Pittsburgh, or near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, north of there, and there was a guy by the name of Willie Sturgill who played on the Pirates. He was a lefty, I'm a righty, but he used to swing the bat like, like crazy before the guy pitched. It was just always twirling his bat. Guess who imitated him? I was always twirling my bat before they pitched. Well, that's his point. Will they succeed in performing like the star? Well, they won't if they only try to be like him in the game. If they want to play like the star, they have to commit themselves to choose the overall lifestyle of the star. That means they have to commit to learning all the fundamentals, and they have to take hours of practice, and they have to eat right, and they have to train so they're prepared to perform their best when they're on the spot in the big game or in the big concert or recital or whatever the event is. Surgeon, teacher, musician, whatever. If you're going to perform well in the moment of crisis, 
you got to practice before that event and work hard. Discipline. A baseball player who hopes to excel without proper training and practice is no more ridiculous than a Christian hoping to excel at being like Christ without regular exercise in godliness. So we set ourselves up for failure if we think we can be like Christ now and then when we're on the spot. Like, how did I do this week turning my cheek in that moment? We're going a second mile if I haven't been practicing it, thinking about it, preparing for it. Problem is we're acting mostly like everybody else most of the time rather than like Christ. Sunday morning's not enough. We're like the kids trying to be great baseball players only in the game. It just doesn't work. So how can we hope to reflect more of Jesus' holiness in our daily living? you got to trust in the never-changing, everlasting, almighty God. And then you receive power when you entrust your life into his care by the Spirit of God to live for Christ, to know Christ, and to become his child. Because he came, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, Saul was trying to hold on to a kingdom that was not his own by his own power and might, by his own will of the flesh. But David would receive the glories of the kingdom and eternal life because he entrusted himself to the God who made him, who the God who called him, who the God who is almighty and powerful. God sent Abigail to help him along the way, and the Jonathan and Samuel, and he was maturing and he was growing. Becoming like Jesus is a whole life commitment. And if you will entrust your life to Christ, you will never be disappointed. David is being discipled and established by God's hand. And Jesus is inviting you and me to come into his strong hands this morning again or for the first time and to be transformed by his power and might. Go back to where we started. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father in God, take your word It's mighty and powerful. And penetrate our hearts with the truth that we need to hear so that you can be glorified, so that your name can be known, so that we can have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.